Being a mom is the toughest job there is, and it doesn't come with instructions. So it's okay if you don't have all the answers. We'll figure it out together. This is Mom Brain with Ilaria Baldwin and Daphne Oz. Hey guys, welcome back to Mom Brain. It's Ilaria and Daphne. And today we get to talk to Tova Klein, the toddler whisperer. I've been hearing about her for so yes. long, by the way. I'm so excited to get to chat with her. No, she's she's absolutely fantastic. And, you know, the wisdom and, and the calmness and just the fact she, at least for me, when she speaks, it just makes sense. Yeah. And it's also just reassuring as the mothers of seven toddlers between <laughs> us. It um, It's really helpful to hear from someone who has developed strategies that really work and work with kids at this stage. It it helps you be a calmer parent and a happier parent and a more self-sufficient parent who feels empowered with real tools, not like you're just constantly guessing, which I think, you know, a lot of the time parenting is just happening in the moment. You don't have a chance to think about your what you're going to do ahead of time. But um, listening to her and reading, reading things that, I, you know, I've seen Dr. Klein put out, um, it does make me feel just like ready for what the what the toddlers have in store. You guys are going to love this combo. We hope you like it. Mom! Will you do us a favor? Will you introduce yourself yeah. um, and just your credentials that you're a mom, that you're whatever you would <laughs> whatever like to say? Bio. A little, a little yeah. uh, you know, couple sentence bio. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm Tova Klein. I am the director of the Barnard College Center for Toddler Development. I'm the author of a book, How Toddlers Thrive, which is everything and anything about toddlers and enjoying their world. And I am the mother of three boys who were once toddlers and then children and now teens and young adults. Does happen. Does happen. (laughs) I am so excited to tell them this story. So this is my story. I, um, so I've got three boys in less than three years and the baby is eight months old. So he's like, not really, he doesn't count yet, but he does get beaten up sometimes by the other one. So one of my, my two year olds came up to him with this little metal colander and smacked him on the head with it. And then, so his new thing. So I started doing timeouts again, which I wasn't doing for a while. And that's how I do the timeouts. I put him in, I say, we don't do that. That's really bad. You need to go take a timeout. So I have a specific chair that they, he goes and he sits in there. Now, if he gets down, then I put him in his room and I close the door for like 10 seconds. Um, and it used to be like, no, nah, mama, don't do it. So now what he's been doing is he gives himself timeouts. Ah. When he does something, when he doesn't do something, he just goes, he's two. So he goes, mommy, I go take time out. Yeah. <laughs> and so he went, he hit the baby on the head. I love that. He said, mommy, I go take time out. He went, he sat there. Then he got down. Then he says, I go to my room. And then he went into the room, took the sliding doors, closed them. And then we, and I'm like, what do I do? Yeah. <laughs> so I go after like, I don't know, 30 seconds. I'm like, are you done with your time out? He says, no, mommy, close the door. Oh, and I was like, ah! <laughs> <laughs> like yeah. charge. What are you supposed charge. to do? How do you tell them? Because boys, I mean, I, I don't want to be stereotypical, but my boys are stereotypical boys. I don't know about the baby, but the other two are. And they're loving and they kiss you and they're so magical. And then they 
beat each other and sometimes they really hurt each other. I hope your other. daughter's in that too. A little, a little bit. Although she's, I think because of her age and just because she's just different. She's Carmen. She's <laughs> Carmen. Yeah. Um, so she'll do like a little bit of like right. the, but it's more like she's like pretending not to and she'll like elbow them. Right. And, um, a little passive there. Re- exactly. So she does have a little bit of it, but she's also able to restrain herself a little bit more. I see that the three-year-old is also be able to control himself a little bit more. Two-year-old, zero, zero. control. What are you supposed so here, to do? No, it's a great example because timeout works if you need to take a break. Right. But really, I would call it that. That's like, what we we're going to take a break. Yeah. Do you need a? But, do you yeah. need to have a break? And yeah. I don't. I don't. I don't for, it's interesting because I, I, just because you brought this up, that was a big mental shift for me because I used to do timeouts, and to your point, at a certain point, they're kind of like, ooh, I yeah. can flip this, and now timeouts are good, and I take it <laughs> yes. to myself. I go play my um, room by I myself. I go play my room by myself, and you won't bother me. <laughs> um, but I, you know, when I see my son, especially getting to the verge of a meltdown or already in a meltdown, I say, do you do you feel like you need a break? Yeah. And then it's an active participation on his part, not me enforcing something top-down that he doesn't want. Exactly. So so this is the point that that all the top-down control stuff, which we all want to do because two-year-olds feel out of control. Right. And sometimes three-year-olds and four-year-olds feel out of control. All of that backfires because it only works when it works and when you're right there to enforce Mm -hmm. it. And he's like, you know what? You're not getting to the point here, which is I'm jealous of this baby. So let me just do it. Take my consequence, which I now own, and all is good. (laughs) So I'm in charge. (laughs) But sometimes children do need a break. So that's and that's helping them learn to regulate. Right. So uh, I get so wound up or I start throwing things all over the place and I can't listen or whatever it is. And you say, you know, we're going to take a break or do you need a break or let's go walk over there helps them actually learn, oh, I can arouse down. They can't calm themselves down in those moments. But yours is trapped between a three year old and an eight month old. Yeah. Yeah. He never had he never had his moment yeah. in the sun. <laughs> you know? I don't know. I feel like he pumped. is in the sun. But he claims it because he is. He, yeah. he is. He, is he a sounds joyful, like a middle child. Passionate. Yeah. He is. But, you know, I, I, I have to say, so I didn't know what I was doing and then I so I would give Carmen timeouts when she would do something very similar the last time I saw this behavior was with Carmen and we had an incident where she hit Rafa so my now three-year-old when he was six months old over the head with a toy and I was just like horrified because that wasn't her behavior at all and so I made her sit down until she apologized which took 30 minutes then she gets down she apologized she goes up to the dog Wax, wax the dog. Yeah. Nothing like nobody's getting hurt, yeah. but I was like, ah. so, and I was like, go sit in timeout. And she very willingly sat in the right. timeout. And she goes, sorry, Hitana. And then she gets down and then goes and hits the other dog. And then she goes on her, on, while my mouth is on the ground, she goes, sits down. She goes, sorry, Dama. Right. And then she gets down and she's like, what? <laughs> and I'm like, oh God. So then I stopped giving timeouts because I was like, this doesn't work. That was work. a quick study. I was recommended by somebody recently to do it again and do it in this way. So this is a new thing that we're doing. So I think we all also don't know. I mean, I don't know how many parents out there are like, I'm going to try this. Yeah. Let's see what happens. And today I got to the point, and this is why it's so amazing that you're here, of like, I don't think I'm doing it right. But no, <laughs> you know what? But it's such a great illustration because... We're always looking for control of our children, but they're always looking for control, not of us, which is what it feels like, but of their lives, right? So a two-year-old, a three-year-old, four-year-old, they're figuring out, like, where do I have control? Where don't I? And I don't really understand this world. He's only two. He's right. only he's been in the baby. world for two yeah. years. Yeah. And your three-year-old's only been here for three years. Yes. Uh, so what he's looking for is for you to label that and say, ah, 
You're not so happy with a baby right now. I'll give you a little attention. These are attention getting. Mm -hmm. And if you live in their very mercurial and a little bit odd toddler world, then you see it as they see it. He's probably doing it for attention or frustration. And when you label it and go right to him, I mean, it's literally like getting down on his level and saying, you know what? I can't let you do that, but I'll give you some attention. Yeah. Or here, hit my hand. It starts... Because think of it as a long-term project. I mean, they're not going to be toddlers forever, thankfully, Mm -hmm. although it is a joyful time as well. But we're raising them so they'll be decent people as they grow up, Mm -hmm. right? And certainly we're hoping that they'll be decent adults. And But this is the time where it starts of who's in charge, me or you? Right. And they want to know we're in charge. So I think that's where this idea of timeouts come from. But honestly, timeouts were started, you know, many years ago for much older children. I don't know at what point they got put in mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. for younger children, but they were really put in as something, you know, you go sit over there and really think about what happened. Well, I think of like dunce caps also, yes. you know, being a kind of a, that's my, <laughs> yeah, my vision it's shaming. It's shaming. It's shaming, exactly. Right. But what you're asking is like, so then how do I get some control here? Because this feels out of control. And what I would say to you, is you have to go to what the emotion is, right? Is he angry? Which then in this, sometimes in it's this attention. particular one, I don't, I don't know if it is. And 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 what what you're what you're saying is so right in some ways. But like my kids, and this is this is I'm seeing how wrong this is as I'm saying it. So just let me put that out there. My kids get so much. Anytime he wants me to hug him, I'm gonna hug him. You know, when I'm here and I'm working, this is what's happening. And then the rest of the time. I am with them. Except that second. Right, exactly. For them, it's never enough. Right. Or it's that you're home. It's a lot of emulating as well. So so he was in his like little jumper thing. Rafa went to him and like like squeezed his cheek. I was like, Rafa, that's a little and it's out of like a lot of love. Oh, I love you so much. And I said, Rafa, that's too that's too much. And then Leo is gonna go and do exactly the same thing, except he had a colander in his hand. So he smacked him on the head. So I don't think this one was, oh, I'm jealous of the baby in this particular moment. We definitely have a little bit of that, but not I would say not as much as one might expect. Um, but this was definitely well. He did this, so let me see what happens now when I do so my version of that. So then you know what it is, that. and so then your response is, "I can't let you do that." And I say that, and then the whole time out. So would you say? I mean, getting to probably what you know, some other parents are struggling. Hopefully, along with me, if I'm not the only one, um, you're is, not alone. I'm not only. Do you believe that timeouts are not okay? I and mean, this is not the you are bad, you are this. It is that kind of take a break. I'm calling it a timeout because this person told me to t- say timeout. <laughs> right. But I'm just trying that. That's yeah, the flavor yeah. that we're trying this particular, you know, two you got to try and see what works. Um, but it doesn't seem to be working. Um, but this is a like he's in the room with me. And then if he gets down, then he has to have 10 seconds. You know what it does removed. for young children? Because you're talking about a two year old. Right. So when you're talking about young children, that idea of if you're really doing it this way timeout you sit over here says i'm withdrawing my attention from you and he feels you're withdrawing your love from me i must be so bad that you've withdrawn my your love and that's scary to children mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. he's a little baby yeah and and even older children let's take a four or five year old when they're in these modes i mean the best behaved child should still be able to feel angry frustrated and they're going to have these behaviors mm-hmm. that just embarrass us let's face it they're not fun behaviors when you withdraw your attention from them, it's very scary. Oh, so when I'm bad, she doesn't love me? 
so I have to be good. But if you go over to him and say, I, you know, I, I can't let you do that, buddy. I got to protect the baby just like I protect you. Right. And you you move him away and you he and gets your attention. Conver- we have those conversations. And like you know, what I've noticed with Carmen and Rafa, because they'll eventually get to part, you don't love me? Yeah. You don't like me? Yeah. And I say, I do love you and I do like you and I just can't let you do right. that. Right, exactly. And so like, like then immediately after, as this is happening, then Rafa takes a pencil and draws all right. over the wall. And I'm like, so I said, no, Ra- and, and I'm saying really nicely. I said, Rafa, we can't draw on the walls. You can draw on a paper. You can't draw on the walls. Then he like, he has this like, it's total theatrics. Yeah. He just puts his big lip out and he's like, and runs in the other room and then kind of like peeks out and looks at me. And then when I look in his <laughs> yeah. direction, like hides his face again. I mean, he's totally doing it for, if I walked away, he'd be like, okay, I'm fine. And but also, cause he's trying to figure out. So a, who's in charge. Right. And do you love me if. Right. This is, this is their mode. Mm-hmm. Not because they're trying mm-hmm to be good or bad, but they really fear, okay, now I've figured out I'm my own person a little bit. Two-year-olds are just figuring that out. Oh, I'm separate from you. Now, when I'm good, all is well. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, you're happy, I'm happy, all is well. But I've just discovered that I don't always listen to you. I don't always like you. Sometimes you tell me we can't go outside or have cookies, and I don't like you then. Or I'm mad, or I'm frustrated, or I'm jealous, whatever it is. They don't really understand those feelings. And that's always their fear. Do mm-hmm. you still love me? If I hit you, do you still love me? Okay. And so it is a version of that. Like, I'm not going to let you hit me. But yes, I always love you. See, that's super, even that's, when you're hitting. Even when you're hitting. But that's super interesting because I do think kids at that age are also trying to identify the rules of the universe. Absolutely. Like they, so, which is why, again, so, you know, we, our oldest is five almost. Um, but I grew up sort of observing like all the other kids in my family. I'm, I have an enormous family and all my aunts and uncles had their kids kind of later in life. So I got to really observe them from a slightly older kid stage. And I remember thinking and watching these kids... uh, there, I guess there was like a phase of parenting that happened where it was really kind of child-led parenting. Like <laughs> totally, the child-led. kids are in charge, yeah, which you know, is scary. which is scary. But it was, it was actually, it was overwhelming for the adults, obviously. But it was actually even scarier, from what I could see, even scarier for the kids. Right, that's what I mean. Because by they, scary. they don't, yeah. they know they don't know anything. Yeah, they know they're just testing the waters. They know they're trying to figure it out. And if you give them, the question I'm getting to is. I, I'm really curious as kids at five and, and my middle one at three, obviously one not so much, but getting there as they try to start to assert themselves and assert their independence. How much leeway can you give them where they feel like they have um, some some agency without making them scared that they are supposed to be setting the much. rules yeah. or that they say that you're an adult and incapable right. and can't give them good guidance or give them That's good a boundaries? Question. You know, so if you think of the bigger picture in your everyday life, you have routines. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You have your rules implicit. I always call it like in the water, right? It's embedded. Here's how we do bedtime routine. Here's how we do meals. You sit at a table. You eat. When you throw food, ah, I see that you're finished. You know, you can keep it light, but it's clear. Those are your rules. Mm-hmm. Most children like to sit in the same seat. They like mommy in the same seat, daddy in the same You know, everybody has their seat. You serve the food. You don't comment on what they eat. All of those routines are the rules and they are the limits. You know, if you have some routine for getting out the door, it helps because getting out the door is always hard. And then in between is where you can be flexible, right? So the child who asserts themselves at bedtime and says, no, I want this book tonight. You say, oh, is this 
this we're switching books tonight. All right, great. That's their agency, and that's their. Or you know, when you're doing clothes in the morning, and you say, oh, you know, do you want this outfit or this outfit? And they they often grab one. They're like, yeah, you know, and that's agency. So all of those places that you're giving them leeway, and then the other place you give them a lot of room for leeway is in their play. If you set up, you know, whether it's their bedroom or you have a you know, living room outside, the more they're outside, the better. Um, and you don't interfere with their play. And the less material things you have, the better. Mm-hmm. Like we all think, oh, in this consumer age, right? More, more, more. But they actually play less. But if you, you know, if you look around and say, let me get rid of half my toys right now and objects, they'll play more. And you don't have to tell them how to play. You don't have to show them how to, you know, they'll build or they won't build or whatever they'll do. They'll play with their dolls or animals. Um and that's their freedom. And that's actually where they figure out self and that sense of agency. And then the other place that they get agency is in moving in the adult world. They love to do adult things. Young children, not when you want them to. You know, it's like, are you going to put your clothes in the hamper? No. No. <laughs> and that's asserting on myself. Your own. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No. But when you do things like, you know, you're sweeping and you give them a little broom. Right? At my center, we have, we've, you know, one and a half to three year olds, and we give them, you know, a little dustpan, but a mini one with, and they love to sweep up the sand. Now, is it helpful? Not always. Although <laughs> yeah. some of them are quite good at it, but they feel so great. We're moving the the teachers are moving, um, you know, furniture around the room to change something up. They want to push the chairs, and at home they do the same thing, right? You hand them a cup to put on the placemat, or you know, certainly for four and five year olds, they can really they like to match the napkins to the to the place settings. Um, they can take their plates off their table and it becomes habit, but they also feel great because they're doing what the adults do. They'll help you with laundry, right? You know, it's like you want to throw okay, some there's, stuff there's in. There's a lot of quote unquote helping with laundry yes, at my house. Yes. Like, I just folded that kitchen. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. So, but they do want the rules. They're really look, even when they're testing, if you can keep it as light as can be, like your description of, of yours, you're know, looking from the other room mm-hmm. and sort of playing peekaboo with that little smirk. If you get right on their level with them, it's funny. Mm-hmm. You're like, I see, I know what you just did. Come on, let's, let's do something else. That's saying to them, yeah, we can test the boundaries together, mm-hmm. but ultimately I'm in charge. And then you pick your control battles. So um, right before we started rolling, Dr. Klein was telling us about her own children who are now grown up, sort of, <laughs> in their teenage years, which to us feels like a million adults. miles away. <laughs> um, and you'd said that it, it gets easier coming out of the toddler phase. And of course, you are the toddler whisperer, which is so heartwarming to hear <laughs> that even you struggled in, yes, in toddler years. Yes, we all do. What was the most challenging bit for you and or what's the sort of challenge you deal with most frequently at your at your center? Um Interesting. Cause there's so many challenges in the toddler years. You know, I think for parents, um, well, there's many, you know, can, and, and every family has their own. It could be food. It could be sleep. Getting out the door, I think, goes across all of us at some point because that's separation. Um, but all of this is really about separation. Your child's becoming independent, but they really want to know you're there for them, even as they test the waters of the world. Um, but probably the hardest thing think for adults to deal with. So that would be parents, that would be early childhood teachers, uh, is aggression. And young children are very impulsive. Two-year-olds are full of impulse. And, you know, your example of your two-year-old whacking the infant, I mean, you, you know, if that was an adult, we would 
lock them off, probably, right? That's like you can't go around whacking people when you're not happy with them. Um, but young children are, they do it for a reason. They're very impulsive. And all the the brain data shows us this, that that part of the brain, the prefrontal cortex, is so underdeveloped. In fact, so underdeveloped that when I was writing my book, I asked a developmental neuroscience who was who I kept checking in with, like as I was reading the science, um, if I could say that that part of the brain was offline at birth, because there's actually parts of the brain that come online later, which I think is, I mean, they're there. Wow. She said, well, no, you know, all of that regulatory ability in the front of the brain is there, but just barely on. And then you know that because two-year-olds have these huge emotions and, and ideas, right? Becoming independent means I have my, I know what I'm going to wear this morning, and it may not be what you want me to wear. Now we clash. Unless you say, sure, you want to wear that? More power to you. <laughs> um, but, um, but the part that then is going to regulate those big emotions is just so underdeveloped. So much so that I also teach college students, right? Barnard and Columbia undergrads who are fabulous. Um, but their brains aren't even fully developed yet. So the, what the brain data is showing us is that that part of the brain that's going to be the part that brings kind of down around, calms them down, helps them handle anger, frustration, helps them learn to focus, all of those things you need to be a reasonable adult. That's how I look at it. Mm-hmm. Um, is barely online at birth, and then it's going to slowly develop, and it develops into the mid-20s, which is amazing. So my college students aren't fully there yet. I try to remember that, like when they <laughs> you know, completely miss an assignment, and it's a great student, right? Um, or if you go back, if you say, okay, that's going to happen around 23, 24, now go backwards, and think that your two-year-old is nowhere near there. Your five-year-old is a little better, but when she's melting down, you have to say, oh, she's far from being fully mature. Mm-hmm. And that's why they do aggressive things. But aggression is scary. You know, it's to see children hitting, biting, kicking, pinching, you know, just suddenly. And, you know, sometimes you say, well, I get why she did it. She wanted the toy or she needed attention. And other times you have no idea. You just have no idea. But I can sit at my center and watch. So we have a big observation room. We're actually a a lab, research and teaching lab. And you can watch 13 toddlers interacting in in their great and fun ways um, behind a mirror. And they don't know that that's observation. And I can watch a child and I'll say to somebody who's with me, ah, look at the wheels going. She's about to lunge that across the room. And they're like, how do you know? And I'm like, just wait. And then she throws something, you know, and then I say, oh, look, she's going to go pick something else up. Like I can see it. But when we're in the moment, you can't, mm-hmm. especially as a parent, you're busy, you're making dinner, you're doing whatever, and you think it's uh, it's either unprovoked or there's no reason for it. There's always a reason, but we don't always know. Well, I think people are so attuned now to bullying mm-hmm. and also just like the fear and panic as a, you know, if you take your kid into a public space and they get hurt or they hurt someone, right. God forbid, right. you, you really you're, panic yeah. in that moment. And, and you're embarrassed. And you're, you're hugely yeah, you're embarrassed, embarrassed because you've raised this, you yeah. know, wonderful child who's an angel at home and then they get and you understand actually right. in this without the prefrontal cortex totally online <laughs> yeah. that you get into this overwhelming new environment overwhelming new kids oh, this is another thing that that sharing as a concept yes. does not exist for a two-year-old yeah, exactly but we're taught as parents to try to teach that early on teach patience teach yeah. moderation regulation pay, uh, sharing how do we what are we supposed to do with yeah. that yeah <laughs> and, and that's really there's your challenge of the early years is is right there right which is we're laying a foundation any parent listening the two of you um 
you're laying the foundation for later, but development takes a lot of time. So I'm always saying to parents, you are their regulator. So you don't want him hitting in a crowded room and you know that a crowded room is not a good place for him. Think about whether you have to go. Do you have to go to every birthday party? Probably not. Some children don't do well there. Um, Or if you are going to be in a situation where you know it's going to be a challenge or you just see your child getting really discombobulated, you have to go over and put your arm around them and Sometimes it's just like a stroke on the Mm -hmm. arm or a touch, and you say, I'm here. Or, you know what? This isn't working right now. Let's go over here. Look, there's some other activity. Or you remove them. You say, you know, now we're going to go for a walk. I was that parent in a restaurant often as I could feel my children melting down, or they did melt down. I felt like in a restaurant there's other people, and I can't control him from not having a hard time. I was the one who would leave. And sometimes it was just like a little walk, fresh air, come back, regroup. And sometimes it was like, okay, we're going to say goodbye to the dinner because this isn't working. And I shouldn't have brought my two-year-old tonight. I should have known better. So it's owning it partly as a parent, but really helping the child. And the problem with trying to over-socialize them, which is how I see this early socialization, is that it backfires for a number of reasons. One is, if it's something a child really can't do or they can't do most of the time, they feel ashamed. I'm letting mommy down. I'm letting daddy down. See, we went to this restaurant again and I couldn't sit at the table. I couldn't share my toys. I don't know why I couldn't. I just couldn't. And the answer is because I'm two. Or I'm three and I have a new baby at home and I don't want somebody else in my house, but I don't know that or I don't know to say that. Um, And they, they really get very ashamed, but they also stay selfish longer. Right. So if you think of the early years, they're very self-focused for the child. It's all about me, 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 me in the most wonderful celebratory way. I mean, think of your children at those moments where they've just, you know, done something that they, you know, they've put a piece in a very simple puzzle and they feel like a million bucks. They're like me, 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 me. Um, But they also try lots of, you know, they touch, they throw, they kick. Um, But they're trying to figure out who am I? What do I like? What don't I like? Where do I fit in? Um, And so that's a constant exploration, but it's a little, it can be a little bit of a train wreck. Mm -hmm. And that's where the parent comes in and says, this is too much. We're going to do something else, or I'm going to help you with this. Um, And they, so when you try to, what I consider over socializing them or too early, they keep fighting it. No, I have to take care of me first. And they stay selfish longer. So can you force a child to share? I, I used to think, no, you can't force them. You can force them if you literally say you have to give this up. But the child feels like that. Mm-hmm. I have to give this up. Mm-hmm. And I know what we all want for our children. We want them to be kind, decent, compassionate human beings. And I would say that comes later. You see signs of it when they're young. But if you really protect them to be the self-centered person in those early days, they And you send them to preschool where they have to be with other people. Mm -hmm. You know, if there's 12 children in that group, they're sharing all the time at school. You know, and and hopefully schools have don't have strict rules like you have to give that up. But they are managing in a room with 12 children. They have to follow rules. When they come home, they fall apart and they're kind of rotten. And I say that with affection, like they just have to be their more self-focused self. So can we talk about I mean, you're you're making so much so much sense to us. I mean, I think that, the, uh, you know, ultimately what you're saying is that we ha- sometimes expect too much of Way our children. Much. And um, and I've always found with 
with my kids that when I just kind of step back and, you know, look at what really is going on, you can understand the reason you can have compassion for the fact that they're just little, they're just little babies. Um, but what do you do? Okay. So outside, like with, when, when any of my kids are going through a particularly, you know, hitting phase, I always try to run interference. If I were ever going to like a playground or something like that, I will hover, not to the point I hope that's like annoying, but just, you know, being aware and making sure that all other children are safe as well as my child. Um, and I find that then they grow through that phase and very, very, very rarely I find my children or other children tend to hurt other kids. It's more their siblings. Right. Um, right. Or the parents. Um, and but what do we do? So let's go. Let's go to dinner time. Let's go to nighttime, which is like the hardest time, I think, for most parents mm-hmm. when they're tired and they have had this long day and they're super excited and they're happy to be home and with their their siblings or their parents. But then at the same time, it's a yeah. lot, it's a lot. Um, you know, and one of the things that we do in our house is we have a very particular structure, Mm -hmm. you know, dinner time, uh, bath time, um, brush teeth, pajamas. And then I do a little reward system with patches that we do of, you know, throughout the day they're they're able to give each other rewards like these just little badges of, wow, she said thank you or wow, she did this or wow, he did that. And um, and then we, you know, we count them out and we talk about the day. Then we have a little dance party. Then we read (laughs) stories and then it's bedtime. But through that, Maybe during the dance party, maybe there's a bite or yeah. there's a hit or there's and how how do you keep people safe? How do you let them experience these fun things? You know, um, and I mean, I can't necessarily one mom with four children. I can't necessarily just like be like, OK, I'm going to go off in the room with Rafa or Leo or Carmen. And then the three of you guys, you just hang right. out. And, you know, what do you do in that situation? You know, before you know it, you will be able to say the three of you hang out. <laughs> okay. yeah. 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 At this point, you got to watch them. Oh, yeah. Seriously. Something else is gonna happen. <laughs> you won't believe how soon that is. Um, well, one of the things I would ask you, though, is does the dance party get wild? Sometimes it's fantastic. And sometimes it's that they have just like a little bit more energy. And then I find that. Oh, and then sorry. After the dance party, then we do yoga. Uh, And then they're like, and it's really funny. It's like so silly. I'm like, okay. And I just make up poses. Right. Like, and it's usually to bring them. Because what you're doing is you're calming them down. And we go up. We have that spark. Sometimes they have that extra energy and they run around, run around, run around for about. 15 minutes, maybe 10, 15 minutes. And then we have like a solid five minutes where they're like, I turn on that Enya song. We turn the lights down low and it's like the most like hilarious, like right. adorable. And they're thing giggling in the world. and they're giggling and they're excited and they, they just look like so adorable. But, um, and then I find then there's like books and then we go down because right, I want right. to have like sort of like that peak and yeah. then we go because yeah. sometimes I find if we go directly to bed, certain nights, like we have, they swim still have their wiggles and they're to, exhausted. Yeah. We don't do it on that night, but other, other days, where the, especially this time of year, right. where they're cooped up and cold yeah. outside, they have to play inside a lot. So, what do we do in those when, moments? In those moments, I mean, I totally get the restaurant thing, I get the party thing, I get you know when you can remove your child from the situation. But what if you know for the the single parents at home, or even the parent, they're the you know, double parent, but there's just stuff to be done. How do you parent and keep them 
safe through the house and teach them and get through to them. Hey, you know what? You can't go up to your brother and bite him on the lip and then he's bleeding, which has happened in my right. in my house before. So this is what I would say about siblings. They are, I, I call them, I say this in my book, but I say this all the time. Siblings are truly a lab for later. Like you can learn everything there is to know through your relationship with your siblings. And people know that if they're parents who have siblings growing up, it's lovely and wonderful and it's cruel and rotten. It's both. It's love hate. And that's because of jealousy. Right. I mean, there's no way you could have siblings and say, oh, I was always fine when somebody else was getting the attention or I was. It's just not normal. Right. So you love your siblings. You don't love them. And and I don't mean in an adult way. We love our children all the time, even when they're driving us crazy. But for children, it's love, not love. And, and so as a parent, you really have to step back and give them a chance to work it out. They do. And the only time, honestly, I've ever seen, I've been doing this work a long time, the only time I see siblings really go to sort of that World War III, mm-hmm. so to speak, is when parents are too involved or intervening. But if they're getting excited, like in the dance party, and it's late at night, and they're starting to sort of decompensate a bit, plus they know they're going to have to say goodnight, then you often, if you have four children, one of them is going to get overly excited. And it's not about being bad. It's about getting too excited. And then the impulse comes. Mm -hmm. And so then I say it's really up to you as the adult to say, I got to bring this down, like you do with the yoga. But to put your arm around that child and say, all right, you know, we're going to dance closer. We're going to do something closer because they you get them physically closer. You want no the parent the closer parent, to oh, the child. Gonna, we, yeah. we as parents yes. are going to get closer in a little <laughs> don't bit. Don't like just, I, yeah. I see this yeah. dance circle yeah. that we're making. Yeah. Um, well, that, that's, that's, yeah. So would you say? Would you say? Sorry, sorry. No, I, no, no. I just want to. I want you to to finish that. Would you say? That anytime, like, say somebody bites another one, and you you should say, so let me let me let me walk through it. Yeah. So Leo bites Rafa. I say, Leo, I can't let you bite him. I love you. Do you need a hug? Is that what I should do? Yeah, but I would say actually, you could keep it more simple. You say you need to bite here something to bite. Right? Okay. You can always bite a teddy bear. Mm-hmm. You can bite one of my children who is he's just sweet by nature. You know, like some children are like yes. that. Yes. Some people yes. are like that. Um, he went through a very hitty phase and um, I would give him this teddy bear and s- rather than saying like, we don't hit with it. They know they don't, they're, you're not pleased when they hit, bite, kick. You don't do it to them. Right. They learn from us. We're their role model. You love them, nurturing, kind. They learn, oh, that's the way to be in the world. But I would give him this teddy bear and I'd say, you need to hit, here's, here's the teddy bear. And he one day said to me, he must've been like three and a half. He said, I hit the teddy bear because it doesn't talk, right? <laughs> and he was figuring this out. Like, I didn't have to say to him over and over, we don't hit people, hands under, hitting or something like that. He was figuring that out, that every time he had that like, dead men jealous don't of talk my brother. Situation. What's that? It's like a dead men don't yeah, talk exactly, situation. Exactly. That's and hilarious. I like, yeah, I said, that's right. You can hit the teddy bear. And you can see these wheels of like, I'm getting it a little bit that I there's something I can do. But I was basically giving him a way to get it out because, you know, when when they get that, some children are bitey, right? They just are. They're mouthy kids. That's a thing. Other kids are are hitters. The more what you're doing in these early years is helping them regulate all that. And of course, in the moment, it doesn't feel that way. In the moment, it feels like, how dare you or how could you or. 
you know, as I used to say, who's raising these kids? <laughs> My husband would say, we are, honey. <laughs> that means it's our fault. Um, but we're regulating them, not just for this very moment when he bites, but for time eternal, right? Mm-hmm. And do I worry about two-year-olds who bite? No, but you don't make a lot of friends when you bite. So we actually, at our center, we give them something to bite. We have these teething rings, and if one has one, they all want mm-hmm. it. Yeah. Because they've got this, like, urge to bite down, or the hitty kids need to hit. Right. Um, but at home, with siblings, there's more leeway. I'm here to tell you. There's and they're more. around more. They're just they're constantly there. They love each other. They push each mm-hmm. other. They play with each other. It's kind of a, a an all of that. And you have to give them a place to do it. And I find that when you really, not, not say for a baby who needs protected, right, because it's still a baby. <laughs> right. Although those younger ones tend to be stronger. He's very stronger. Tough, He's going to be bigger than all of them. It's interesting. Rafa is going to be smaller than Leo, you can just tell. And then Romeo, the baby, is going to be the he's biggest. A giant. He's, a he's already hilarious. in like two-year-old yeah. clothes so and he's true. eight months old. He's a giant That's, baby. I grew up in a that, family like that. I have a brother who's 6'5". I'm 5'3". He's my younger <laughs> brother. But I mean, my mother used to say, oh, be nice do to whatever now. you want because he's going to be bigger than both <laughs> yeah, of you. Exactly. And I, I, I remember thinking, like, how does she know that? What well, was so obvious <laughs> if you were an adult. But, but, but siblings, really, you know, you want them to be bonded for life. We want our children to have us long after we're here, but also you want them to have each other's back. Right. Um, I mean, I can tell you a funny story. I was last year I was inducted into my high school hall of fame and it was like one of the biggest honors. It's exciting. There were nine of us and two of them are NFL players. Ah. Okay. So they're there. These two big guys wanted just won a Super Bowl ring. Wow. And his brother. So we go to give our like speeches. Where'd you go to high school? In Cle- I grew up in Cleveland. Cle- Cleveland, man. There is something in the water out something there. Something in the water. <laughs> yes, we're proud. <laughs> Cleveland Heights High School. So, um, but but this is a sibling story. So I, um, I give my little speech and I get very choked up and I start to cry, which I didn't expect, but I grew up in an unusual community and I loved it. I get myself together and then go through some other people and then... Um, the last speaker, because they did it by age, so I was on the older side, and these guys were on the younger side, because they're both in the NFL. The younger brother gets up. So so the first brother gets up, who's older, and he gives his, and he gets a little choked up and says, you know, for a reason similar to what Tova just said, you know, he's, but then his younger brother gets up, who had had like a hard run through college, and I guess came back to the high school for support when he was a you know college football player. So he starts to cry, but sobs. Like the tears are, there's this big guy from the NFL, tears pouring down his face, and his older brother eventually gets up and goes over and puts his arm around him and like taps him on the heart. So like I start to cry because I've got three boys. So, you know, afterwards we're all talking, getting our pictures taken and all that. And I said to them, I was so moved by that because I've got three boys and you guys have each other's back. And that's all I want for my kids. And they looked at each other and they laughed. They were like, yeah, we have each other's back. I said, did you fight a lot? And they were like, oh, Tova, we practically killed each other. Wow. And we still do, but we've got each other's back. And I thought that's what all of us want for our children. We want to know that when they're out in the world or that you hear from school, like you're going to have two children at the same elementary school, you want to hear from a teacher one day, you know, I saw your children run up to each other on the playground and hug each other and then run apart, or one of them was really missing you and the other went over and said, mommy will pick us up. Whatever it is, you want them to have each other, and that's more important than anything. 
But we have to then stand back and say, okay, when is this really too, when is the fighting too much? But it's really because I can't stand it as a parent. And then I'm going to go in and you have to go in very neutral because we always want to take sides. We usually take the younger one's sides. So we put a lot of pressure on the older one. Like, we're like, what did you do? Can't you just let him have that? Whatever it is. But you go in very neutral and you say, this is enough or this isn't working. This just isn't working. We're going to stop this. Right. And you separate them. But that's when you've had enough or you feel like the physical is too much. But you have to be neutral. You cannot be a Supreme Court justice. You can't be a judge with your children because as soon as you take one side, the other one is completely insulted. And you you don't know what went on five minutes before or three days before. You don't know if it's. Um, so you say, look, siblings are hard. You can say to your kids, like brothers, sisters, you love her, you don't want to be with her. It's That's part of being a sibling. And they, over time, get that. I think you're getting to kind of the core also of of this dialogue about, you know, to be a helicopter parent or not, when to get involved, whether to let your kids struggle, whether to let them work through conflict themselves. And I think... We talked about this uh, with someone else recently about, um, you know, preparing our kids for an uncertain future and for their uncertain future and a future that doesn't always have us lurking within five feet to make sure that everything goes well. Um, And, you know, to some to some degree, wanting your kids to have had a very safe place to Mm -hmm. experiment with these conflict resolution skills. So that's the lab for later. Exactly. Yeah. So how do we how do we. I guess, yeah, how do we not be helicopter parents? Obviously not let dangerous <laughs> things happen, but you know, let them have that problem-solving experience. Let them have that difficulty. And, or, you know, no one wants their kids to struggle. Of course not. But then you ask adults what kinds of things define their lives. And inevitably, some of it is the struggle. Even listening to you talk about your high school experience and how that made you feel like inevitably that was not a purely easy experience. Yes, no, it was not. <laughs> but something about it worked yeah. <laughs> and made you who you are now. So how do you, how do you deal with with that in kids today. And I think parents, you know, we get smarter and smarter and that in some ways makes us more and more paranoid. Um, right. How do we get back to like trusting the our basics. kids a little bit too? And yeah, yeah, the basics. I think, you know, th- they're such an important question because everything we're doing for our children, although it feels like we're doing it for in the moment, both the joys and the hard parts, we're really doing it to sustain their you know, their little body, soul, brains to become whoever they're going to become. So I think a big part of how do we let children struggle is recognizing that it's not our job to make children happy. And that's kind of this. Say that again. Yes. (laughs) We've been sold this line, you know, you have to make your child happy. And it's so wrong for a number of reasons. One is People know how to be happy. Children know, children for sure know how to be happy. If squeezing toothpaste out of a tube makes you happy, you're going to find the toothpaste tube. One of my children did that for That's a while. That's their we have favorite. Like, what is that? The tooth. We were like, there's no toothpaste. I'll walk in the sink yeah. is just like a Covered. tub of I know. strawberry <laughs> toothpaste. And it's so innocent, right? And they're so happy, right? You're like, okay, I need to put that on an even higher shelf. Um, so children know how to make themselves happy, you know, assuming they've got good lives, right? These are not children growing with terrible adversity. But I would say even children who are growing up in very struggling situations, they find ways to play. They know how to make themselves happy. Our role as parents is to help them through the not happy, to help them deal with frustration, to help them understand that anger is part of being a person and it might not feel good, Mm -hmm. but 
here, you can you can hit this pillow as hard as you want. You know, you can kick this punching bag, um, but they have to struggle. You can't learn how to get through adversity if you never struggle. In the same way that you can't learn to handle setbacks if you're never allowed to have one. And, you know, that's true as human beings, but it's also true from the data, the neuroscience that is coming out, the developmental neuroscience is that, you know, as the brain sort of reacts in these emotional ways, it's got to go up before it comes down. So like your description of the dance party is literally you're physically bringing them up and excited and then you're helping them come down. That's true with almost all emotions, right? You feel the anger. You have to feel it before you can learn to handle it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And the parent's role is to help them not go over the top. Like if you're so angry that you can never come out of it, that would be scary. But when a parent goes over and says, that really did make you mad, didn't it? Yeah, I get it. I'd be mad too if my brother didn't want to play. But you don't have to solve it for them. Right. You're allowed to be mad, but the brother doesn't have to play right now. Mm-hmm. Um, so those struggles, the frustrations, um, you know, when you can't get the puzzle piece to fit, that's always my favorite oh my example mm-hmm. because, you know, it, the center that I run is for toddlers, but it's also a place where students are learning. It's a part of the psychology department and, um, and researchers are there. And so I always say to the students, you know, we talk about how do you support a child, help them through separation, but... Um, be there for them, but don't do for them. And these are lovely college students. They, who wouldn't want to put that last piece into a very simple puzzle if the child's frustrated? And so I have to really talk to them about, well, what would that feel like to the child? You know what it feels like? Oh, there's an adult and she knows how to do it and I don't, right? But if you let them struggle, you know, sometimes they walk away. Maybe they walk away and say, forget this puzzle. And parents then worry, she'll never persist at anything. So no, she just doesn't want to do the puzzle right now. <laughs> and maybe they come back an hour later. Or maybe they come back a week later. It doesn't matter. But when they get that piece in and nobody has said, do it this way, but they put it in, there is such a sense of satisfaction on that child's face. They don't even need the adults. I mean, they might look up and smile towards a a teacher, but for the most part, you see it in their whole body. They're like, I figured that out. And that's what feels good. And that's what spurs on learning. So that's, you know, the toddler struggle. I couldn't get the piece in. Or I'm trying to figure out how to climb on this climber at the playground. You know, you might put your hand out to help them, but they can figure it out. Or maybe they don't figure, maybe they say, oh, that's too scary. I'm going to walk away. But when we give them the respect that I'm going to help you through the struggle, as opposed to I'm going to take the struggle away, they feel great when they get it. But we have to help them. You know, it's always like you're saying this moderation of how much frustration is okay. And that's a question to ask yourself, because a lot of us as parents don't like to see our children upset in any way. The other piece I would add to that is we don't like our children to be upset with us. So some of it is it's distressing, particularly for our firstborns, who we want the world to be perfect for. We let our secondborns struggle more, I think, and our latterborns, um, and they're more resilient because of it, right? Um, but often we don't want our children to be mad at us. And the way to put up a limit is to know that your child's not going to be happy with you. When you say, actually, no, we're not having cookies right now, and they get mad, they're mad at you because you're the bad person. And you have to really think about, well, what does that feel like when my child's not happy with me? Which is part of being a parent. And that's a hard part of being a parent. We're always, everybody's happier when their child's happy with them or when the day has gone well. Mm -hmm. 
you know, who wouldn't want that? I would like no, that every day, want, too. You want perfect happiness all the time. I have to ask you a question about, um, my aunt sent me this YouTube video about, have you heard of these forest kindergartens in Denmark? Yes. Okay, can we talk about yes. these? Yes. Okay, so just if you guys listening at home don't know about this, Larry, I don't know if you've seen these. Know. Okay, it was the craziest video. You can Google forest kindergartens Denmark and you'll find these videos. They're like four and five year old kids. It's kindergartens and probably older years also held in literal forests. Like your kids are climbing 40 foot trees. They are digging through the mud. They're picking up grubs. They're they're wading into ice baths. I mean, it's so it in one way, it's so wonderfully yeah. animal and it remi- and like primitive in the in the sense of it's engaging all the sort of old human things mm-hmm. of like let's explore our environment let's physically interact with our mm-hmm. environment let's be out in nature um that you know tests us in the, all these ways but it, as a parent it's terrifying it's <laughs> it's like, oh my gosh my, who's watching my kids um what do you make of that and do you think it's good for human development to be that so sort of this is really the free? question you're asking about is about risk yeah and risk taking oh yeah so cal no. pulled it up <laughs> so but look look they've got four-year-olds climbing up these insane cliffs oh my God. <laughs> it literally look at this kid Thirty feet up in the air, sharpening using oh, using nice. knives to okay. sharpen wood into you know spokes, um, stomping okay, and the splashing. Puddle. The puddle was fine. Oh, this is a sensationalized. There's actually there's actually a video of them that's a little bit less sensationalized. Yes. yes. So, if you take that from its extreme, and those children who you're seeing in this video, they were just doing you know, extreme things, but they've built up to it, mm-hmm. right? They didn't say go in the forest and climb a tree. They've Here's a built up to it. Exactly. Oh, have fun. Yes. <laughs> but I actually visited one of the forest schools in uh, Wales okay. a couple of years ago. And one of the things they um, work with fire as well. So they really, um, you know, it's partly a philosophy about nature, um, but also being ha- able to handle the elements and and to interact with the elements. And I took a couple of things from it. One was, in Wales, it rains like all the time, right? <laughs> and so it was indoor-outdoor. They had indoor space and outdoor space. So it wasn't completely this model of outside all the time. And the children had like boots and little raincoats by the door. And they had a nice play area outside, which was basically mud because it rains all the time. Or it certainly did when I was there. And... Um, they would just, when they wanted to go back out, they would put their boots on and go out. And the rain didn't bother them. And they were playing out there. And then we saw them doing um, roasting marshmallows. And they were three and four-year-olds. And they all had their raincoats on because it was misting. And they had the sticks. I didn't actually see them whittling the sticks. But they had whittled the sticks with knives. But they spent the first, I don't know how many months of the year, working on issues of safety with knives and fire. Mm -hmm. And that's the part that people miss, that you set it up so that children feel comfortable in this. And so we saw the children once they had already whittled their sticks and they felt very good about it. And they were sitting around this fire and there were adults there. And then the, the teachers would say, you know, who who's ready to roast their marshmallow? And they would walk over to this open fire and they would roast their marshmallow. And, that you know, and then it was this whole science thing because, you know, look at what gets burned. Or yeah. what doesn't. But the teachers said, you know, we've been working on fire for the last three months and it's only this week that we've actually built the fire. Mm, and so it's this it. very gradual. And they walked over and they did and nobody hovered over them. 
them right. and no child got anywhere near danger. But all of us from America were like, whoa. Don't you love that responsibility, though? Totally. Because I do worry sometimes that we that we overprescribe kids lives and try to keep them away we from way danger all the time. Them. And these kids, you just see how much more they're capable of than we think. Uh, and they have know, lower these. rates of things like anxiety and ADHD. Mm. Because and probably injury as and well. It, injury is very low. It's a great it's that's a great comment. Injury is low. Children don't do things they're not capable of yes. doing. They really don't. Except a few daredevil outlier, <laughs> but they're really rare. I visited um, schools in China a couple of years ago, and I'm going back to do a conference there called Anji Play. And it's so here we are in China. You know, you think oh restrictive, and you know if you have friends who are mm-hmm. from China, it's pretty restrictive schooling. Yeah. This is all open play, and it is risk taking like you've never seen. And they have the same injury rate as the typical preschool does. The children are climbing on the top of things and jumping off. But always they've already laid out their mats. And I asked the question, I said, do the teachers put the mats on them? They said, no, no, the children do. Because the children figure out what they can do and what they need to jump onto. And also, if they're going to jump higher, maybe they need more than one mat. And they do it together. And they help each other. It was the most inspiring wow. I don't know week how, for me. I don't know how you grew up, Daphne, but I grew up a little bit more like that. Mm-hmm. Um, my parents were very lenient. And they would always say to me, do you trust your body with what you're doing? Are you listening to your body? Yeah. And I do think that that's why yeah. I went on to become a gymnast and a dancer and a yoga mm-hmm. instructor. And I love like I will. I love climbing things like I will say, I'm like, oh, could I do that? Yeah. Oh, could I do that? And it's interesting between Alec and me and seeing our parenting because he's like oh no no no, they need to get down from there and I'm like they're okay yeah it's okay and it's having and my brother was parented very similarly I mean you're just like okay I get that and if they're making me a little bit nervous if it's too much I'm like you know what that makes me nervous because of x y and z and then we'll have like a conversation Mm -hmm. about it but teaching our kids and this to be honest when I teach people to can reconnect with their bodies in yoga practice this is what I'm fighting against yeah. I'm fighting against the kid that was told that was taught from when they're little like oh be careful don't do that don't do right. that don't do that and then they go on and they're like okay well if I sit in a desk all day nothing bad is going right. to happen to me whereas then they're afraid to take risks they're afraid to do a handstand they're afraid to do all these things but if you look at little kids they are naturally inclined to do this. Yeah. I mean, one of the first like little baby toddler thing is they almost go into like a downward facing mm-hmm. dog thing and we get them too far away from that. And the more you have children involved in instructive, structured activities, the more they they do become, I think, afraid, but also what's the right way to do this, right? So if you're instructing children, here's how you run and here's how you you know, climb these structures and it's all in structured activities, then they're always oriented towards what's the right way as opposed uh, to how do I figure out what my body can do? It's performance, not resp- not uh, awareness. Of awareness your own- of body and what can I do? And look, every child, if you want to watch something interesting, it's at the playground or I see it at my center, uh, is watch like one climbing thing and watch every child go up that climbing thing. They all do it differently, Mm -hmm. but they all succeed. The ones who want to get to the top and they do, but they move their bodies differently. They approach it differently. It's amazing. You're like, is that child going to really be able to wiggle their way up? And they do, but they need the experience. They need that openness. It's why playgrounds and just parks and forests and hikes are so important. I mean, yes, it connects children to nature, which is also important, but um, they can then feel the elements, 
they can be outside. We take our program outside in the spring, mainly because we don't have our own outdoor space. So we go to a local, very small playground and we're out rain or shine. We always tell this to the parents, not if it's lightning, although that's rare in May and June, fortunately, or if it's like a total downpour, although we have ended up out there. Um, but we have umbrellas for the kids and we say, just dress them. And if there's puddles, oh, they're thrilled. They're thrilled, <laughs> right? The and they'll spend ever. their two hours outside <laughs> in the mud and the puddles and the ones who don't want that will go into the wet sand, right? And the ones who don't want the wet sand will go on the sw- swings. But, um, But they're figuring out what to do. They're not afraid of the elements. That was one of the things I picked up in Wales. I was like, those children don't even know that there's weather or elements. They probably don't have a word for it. It's raining. You put your boots on. And yesterday... Those two and three year olds came to our center with their boots and their they were so happy. You so know, talk, talk to us. Uh, talk to us. I know that we we have to end soon, but I do want to um, give you an opportunity to talk about your center mm-hmm. and talk about what you do, what your program is. Um, go. So uh, <laughs> I am uh, I'm actually in the psychology department at Barnard College, and for far predating me, since the seventies, we had the Center for Toddler Development, which is, it is a preschool program for two and three-year-olds, mainly two-year-olds. Um, but it's also a research place where we're studying early development and a learning center for our undergraduate psychology students. So they're actually in the classroom learning from all of the children who are there. And the whole premise of it is that this is a time of separation. Two-year-olds are separating Uh, emotionally and physically Mm -hmm. from the parents. And so we have parents stay the first six sessions um, and then slowly move out on a very prescribed protocol so that we can help facilitate that healthy separation and build trust. Because basically being able to move out in the world is all about trusting yourself, which comes from relationships with adults. So we do a very, very gradual separation. And then it's a community-based program, all based in play and children's emotional basically learning to become those socialized, we hope, three and four and five-year-olds. How many uh, how many days a week do they go? They just go one or two sessions a week. So it's really like a first separation program. And then at three, they go into preschools, you know, more in their own neighborhood. Um, so I live and I get to live and breathe toddlers, whether it's as a researcher, as an observer. So it's, fun. Yeah, it's really, it's fun and it's interesting. And every year the children, are, you know, we have 52 children a year. Oh, wow. Not all at once. No. <laughs> <laughs> we have four groups. And it's, it's fascinating. It's, it's just fascinating to watch young children become who they are, Mm -hmm. I would say, in spite of what we as parents may wish for them. Interesting. We we ask guests on the podcast to share a favorite thing. And Mm -hmm. a lot of the times we'll ask them, you know, it could be a new book you're reading Mm or eye cream or deodorant (laughs) or whatever. But for you, I'd love a a child's game or something to take on an airplane Uh or like one thing that you love for kids, especially parents of toddlers, who I think are always looking for something educational but fun and not screen time. (laughs) Not screen time. Yeah. Uh, Well... I mean, look, the most fun thing to do with a toddler, honestly, is play peekaboo. I know that sounds so simplistic, but their games are very simple. It's like I go away and I come back, right? So run and chase, not on an airplane, but run and chase is their game. Um, You know, they don't like to approach new things always. So if you cover your face and you pop out, but... um, so I don't even think you actually need a toy for the airplane, but you need things for them to fidget with. So very simple stickers. Like we actually buy them for our center, like at the stationery store, mm-hmm. right? Circles and squares, anything that they can 
take and transform. So they put them on their face. They put them on their hands. They put them on you. They put them together. Simplicity is always better with young children. Probably simplicity is better we, for all we'll, of us. We'll ball up like a receipt or a little piece of paper, mm-hmm. and then they guess like which yes. hand is in. Oh yeah, that's and also the or the stinky foot and the foot that smells good. Yeah. <laughs> Do you ever do that? Never, oh my not god, that one—the hidden no, hand. No, yes, but Daphne. Not stinky feet. Daphne, it's like the most magical thing in the Aww. world. You pretend that one of their feet smells and the other one is smells delicious do you do this cow go home and do okay it's go so home cute. and everybody go home and do this if you have toddlers carmen even thinks it's funny and you go up and you smell and you're like mm, and then you smell the other one you're like oh horrible, horrible. see we just play stinky feet and my kids think it's the greatest thing in the world they that, put, that like their feet are disgusting yeah. right. 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 but one has to smell they good. don't they smell good they smell like cake we, batter no, they don't right. smell bad at all but <laughs> pretend that one smells good and one smells bad and then they just think it's That's funny and so it's literally funny. like endless entertainment. Then they'll come up to each like, and then they'll be like, which one is yes. it? Yes. Um, so that, That's for that. simplicity. They mm. want the back and forth with, but all of that, like the hiding in your hands is like peekaboo. Like anything that hides and comes back. They love that. Says to them, when I don't see mommy or daddy, I know I'll see them again. It's just this, this metaphor so for life. We, yeah. And I, because we didn't actually get to talk about screen time and I know we have to let you go. So just really fast because yeah. I'm, there are so many parents. We, sometimes you just have to yeah. have it. Is there a show or is there a game <laughs> that you actually are okay with? <laughs> Look, I think there's lots of good. When I was raising my children, I hope people listening still let their children watch Sesame Street, yeah. I still think is the greatest. I would say my greatest credential probably is that I used to be an advisor to <laughs> Sesame Street. It's oh, like my biggest honor, right? Um, but I think there's lots of good children's shows and parents worry so much. If you're the one curating it, then... There's lots of good shows out there. What about the amount of time they they should watch? That's a bigger issue. Yeah, I think it's two things. It's one, the amount of time. Children engage in the world in all, in three dimensions. And screens are not three dimensions. But that doesn't mean they can't have them ever. It's really for parents to be mindful. When am I giving this to my child and why? Yeah. Is it for downtime because everybody's just come home? Great. Are you trying to make dinner and it's a great distraction? Great. But am I doing this to pacify them and keep them quiet all the time? Uh, that's a problem, right? If, if they can't sit at a table at the restaurant, don't go. No, you don't yeah, have to no, give no, them no, the no. phone. I, that, that's the one and that I And then to be mindful of yourself. I, if, the biggest concern I think I have is parents' use of technology because children when you're with them need you there yeah they don't need you hovering but they need you know they look up just for a moment and i see this all the time they look up and the parents on their cell phone or whatever and the parent doesn't just give them a smile and you see that child just feel deflated right they just need a little check-in and we get distracted let's face it none of us can do well with a phone in our hand right that we just can't we're too distracted well we're gonna have to have you if you will come on for a number two and we can talk about teen years because i want to talk about teens i want to Talk just about substitute room sharing. the word the word in my book, and you've got and you've got it's, 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 it's same, literally the same, same thing. Uh, I want to talk about yeah. like room sharing yeah. oh and like goodness. personal space. I've taught all my kids to say, "I need my space." <laughs> we actually have, we have the NASA shirts that say, "I need my space." Oh, that's cute. Oh, it's that's very, so yeah, we, fun. We, 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 
We've uh, we wear them when we travel. Do they share a room? The um, Rafa and Leo share a room, which I'm every day. I I question if that was the right thing to do, especially bedtime, because they both want me to be in the bed with them at the same Uh time. But that will be sleep training. Yeah, sleep training. I used to say to my children, maybe I could clone myself, and we could have a second one. And my youngest would say, "But I want only you." And I said, "No, you wouldn't know which one is that." (laughs) That's creepy. He'd say, "Yeah, mom, I only want you." Yeah, that's so. Because it was always at bedtime. It's always, I, like, I know it's it's bedtime. Bed. I've already actually put Romeo's door sign. I have these like little dinosaur door signs. I've put it on Rafa and Leo's room because once he's one, he's going, going in there too. Hmm. It's going to be the the man suite. The men's a man suite. Man came club for a long time. For it's about okay, 10 years. right? I thought I think it was great for them. Actually. I think it's good for them, but they then you do see where then sometimes they just want their space, and that's what you know hard how you so give many. them space. You give them something very concrete and physical. So my kids each had a drawer that was just their drawer nobody else could go into it you can do it with like a shelf actually each of my children had a shelf and to this day um my middle one shelf is still in my younger one's room because i guess when he cleared out like he went to college he still has his shelf mine nobody touch so you give them something you give them something it can be a box on the shelf but something you say this is just for you your brothers and sisters can't go in it it's just yours and they put the funniest things in those drawers (laughs) (laughs) their treasures are so interesting like one broken toy exactly exactly (laughs) half a paper clip (laughs) you're like a broken crayon yeah exactly thank you so much thank you for having me oh my god Gosh, this was wonderful. so amazing. Thank well, it's you, nice to be with you. people who have children in this age range. <laughs> so let our audience know where they can follow you, find more out about you, and buy your book, of course. Okay. I, they can follow me on Facebook, How Toddlers Thrive, where I post various art- articles about parents, about children, about schooling, um, or at my website, howtoddlersthrive.com. And you can sign up for an e-newsletter, which has practical tips and advice. And my book, How Toddlers Thrive, is available really anywhere books are sold. Wonderful. You pick your venue. <laughs> I'm, rem- I'm remembering that. I know, I know. I locked it in. As soon as you leave, I'm putting it <laughs> in my phone. So good. That was Dr. Tova Klein. You know, I loved Daphne, the the consistency of the messaging and just, you know, constantly saying, you know what, that's not what we do. This is what we do. We have to be kind, but also not setting our kids up for disaster. Like don't put them in situations that they're not going to do well, like bringing them out to dinner when they're cranky, Yeah, you know, um, have better expectations for our kids. And then we're all going to be happier because we're not having to to yell all the time. Well, I, speaking of happier, I like two things that she said. I like that she said it's not our job as parents to make our children happy. I think that's really important and and release some of the stress of like, you know, at the end of every night, you kind of fall asleep wondering, um, was today a good day for my kid? Was Are they happy today? Did they grow today? Um, and I loved what she said, which is kids are really good at making themselves happy. They know how to give that to themselves. So we just kind of need to get out of their own yes. way and set them up for success, which I love. Um, I also really love that she's kept looking for humor in parenting because I think that's <laughs> the most important. You just have to be able to laugh. Some of this is so weird and crazy. Um, and you just have to laugh because it's funny and it's fleeting. And um, and and just, you know, you have these little 
to actually weirdly kind of strangers living in your house that you made. And what I mean by that, I mean you have to see who they are and work with that as much as you are working with your expectations or hopes or or aspirations for them. Um, there was one other thing I thought she said that was so good. Shoot, what was it? Um, oh, well, whatever. Um, anyway. Mom brain. Mom brain. Mom brain. Mom. I like, just live live the process. I, I, I think she's teaching truth. us. You live the truth. And we're, you know, she, she Toba teaches us. Darn it. it live the process. And, and it's, it's all going to be okay. We're all in this together. Now it's time for our favorite things. It's now time for it's favorite things time. Favorite things, mm-hmm. so excited! Mm-hmm. All right, I Daphne. know you guys love this part. By I, the way, I know you guys like wait for this part of the show because you're like, ooh, I want to know about what well, crazy body wash or sunscreen or or eye drops the girls are going <laughs> to recommend to me this year. Guys, Cal just goes above and beyond for us and for you guys. If you go to the description of each podcast that we put out each week, you'll actually find in the description the products that we've recommended and hyperlinks to them so you can literally just click from your phone and get to shopping um, if you're interested in any of our favorite things. Um, and I'll also just say, because we, we said it a million times before, but nobody's paying us to say these. These are just things that we like. So my favorite thing this week is actually just because it's, it's, look, it's it's the winter. I feel like everyone's kind of sick and certainly kids at school are sick and your kids are coming home from uh, from school sick. Um, I really am a believer in homeopathy. We see a homeopathy um, practitioner, uh, a homeopath for the whole family, actually. She's, she's actually an MD, but she has also um, made this her practice now. And uh, if you don't know what homeopathy is, it's, um, it's, it's, Basically, treating illness by giving, I, I, as I understand it, by giving the body a chance to respond to a um, almost a, a microdose of the thing that, in theory, would create the sickness, but it allows your body to have this heightened response that like knocks it out quickly. That's that's sort of what I've gathered from chatting with her over the years, but. In any case, it's a really, really safe and effective thing that's been used for centuries. Infants can use it. Old people can use it. Adults can use it. And our whole family loves it. Um, and if I've totally botched what homeopathy means to you, we please feel free to wel- uh, you know, provide your feedback. Um, <laughs> but um, in any case, all that to say that one of the homeopathic remedies that our family loves, by the way, one thing I should say is Arnica. I literally carry Arnica in my handbag everywhere I go. It's what I use for any kind of muscle sprains, sore muscles, bruising. Um, it, it just speeds recovery time. It's out of control and I have it everywhere. I think all parents of young toddlers and children should have it. But um, Boyron makes a thing called children's cold calm and it's homeopathic medicine for cold relief. And it, I find it really helps with congestion. Um, if they're having trouble sleeping, if they're just uncomfortable, their nose is constantly running, their head hurts. Um, I, I absolutely love this stuff. And then I have another thing that I can't pr- pronounce, which is Asasasicillium. It's like, yes, it's, it's like 45 letters oh, in a yes. row. No, no, no. We give that to our, we give that to our kids. It's so amazing. It's you can relief. get it in yeah. almost any pharmacy. I mean, it's, totally. it's definitely it's like at checkout at CVS it, at yes, this point. It's yes, everywhere. Yes. Well, Arnica is as well. I mean, I love how these things that are con- 
considered to be a little bit more hippy dippy are becoming like super mainstream. So that one with the O and the C's and it has it's like <laughs> these little like, it's like these little pellets. My kids love them. They get so excited to whenever they get to have they're them. sugar pills. That's exactly. Like, they're, I, su- I, they're sugar. I literally say to my kids, <laughs> do you want your sugar pellets? Because they, like, they're like little tiny white sugar and balls. And they're a really good they're um, activity if you dump them into a bowl and then they eat them one by oh, one. Interesting. Yes. Um, so I did pick up my phone and Google homeopathy just so I, just so I get it <laughs> correct. And I, I wasn't that wrong. The treatment of disease by minute doses of natural substances that in a healthy person would produce symptoms of disease. <laughs> good job. I'm so proud of you, daughter of a doctor. (laughs) So smart. Um, So my favorite thing is also something that you consume, um, which is coconut water. Oh, I love. Uh, You know what? I have to say, I'm not a big fan of the taste of coconut water. What? I know. I'm I'm like one, and I love coconut. It's Mm. kind of a weird thing, but I have found one that I like, and it's Taste Nirvana coconut water. And I do think that it's one of the reasons that I have been so successful at breastfeeding. Um, You know, coconut water is super duper at keeping you hydrated, and breastfeeding is extremely dehydrating. I think the sugar in it as well helps um, to Mm. uh, give you good breast milk that is, you know, full of great things. And breast milk is very sweet. If any of you guys have tried it at home Mm -hmm. Um, and um, and you know what's interesting so we went on vacation when Carmen was little when we used to you know have few enough children that we could actually go on vacation it would be a vacation rather than me like pulling my hair out Um, we have staycations now usually Um, we went uh, to the Bahamas and um, I went there and the, you know, the lady, the ladies who are working at the hotel, they're like seeing, seeing Carmen. They're like, oh, she's so cute. And they ask me if I, if I breastfeed and they're kind of like looking at me, like, look at this like skinny little girl, like, oh, she probably isn't breastfeeding mm-hmm, or maybe she mm-hmm. can't produce anything. They totally were like judging me. And, um, and then I said, um, and then they said, you know what you need to do? You need to drink coconut water. And I said, actually, I know that. And I was so proud of myself. <laughs> but how I figured it out is I was, I, I started drinking coconut water when I was pregnant with Carmen because I had lots of Braxton Hicks contractions. Um, and I found it because I was getting dehydrated. So I found that coconut water helped me a lot with that. And I continued to drink it for six weeks after she was born. Then I um, I stopped drinking it because it's, again, not my favorite choice of beverage. All of a sudden, my milk went down. Wild. And I didn't know why. I didn't, I didn't put two and two together. And then I forget why I had more coconut water. I mean, maybe it was just there in my fridge, and I took it, and then immediately my milk came back Wait, in. that's fascinating. It's, it is fascinating. And so these ladies down in the Bahamas who were, they like, totally judging up. me, they know what's up. And apparently it's, you know, one of these more, um, you know, I don't, I don't know what the word is, like more his, historical. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, no, like a cultural thing, a that, cultural people thing that people know See, about. I, yeah. love, I actually love those things. I feel like um, like Indian culture talks about lentils being super uh, uh, helpful for uh, producing breast milk. And um, I think in Turkey it was, or somewhere it was um, barley and chicken soup, mm-hmm. which I love. So, yeah, I love that. I thought, I thought, oh, I mean, next the, baby, the I'll try that out. Try, try it out. Mm. I mean, hydration and, you know, eating and minerals, a lot. You got you, yeah. you, you got you to gotta make sure that you're eating lots of good things. I, I try to eat lots of fats, lots of, like, nuts and stuff like that. Um, make, make that milk. Good stuff. Good stuff. Thanks, guys. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Tell your friends about us. And, of course, we love hearing from you. Write us emails at mombrainpod at gmail.com. See you guys soon. Until next time. This is Mom Brain with Ilaria Baldwin and Daphne Oz. Mom Brain is a Gallery Media Group original production.